many of you know, this has been a very surprising week, uh, a disturbing week that has raised uh, many questions in our minds, caused confusion, um, and I'm not talking about the Michigan game last night, <laughs> although that was disturbing. Uh, you know, the, the elections this past week have really instigated a lot of hatred and fear and intimidation, and it's really heartbreaking. It breaks the heart of God. And I think even as we see uh, uh, acts of hatred and violence going on, uh, at the flip side, I, I also see people who are rising up and, and also hating the haters, <laughs> right, because that's really easy to do. And, and I think we as the people of God are called to, to rise above all of that, we are called to, to first stand up and pray for our nation. It's a call to actually never stop, but again, incidences like this also just reveal how divided our nation is, and it reminds us once again, yes, we need to be praying for our leaders and our government and our nation and, and, and the church. Uh, and it also calls us to stand up against injustice. God's heart is that we would love mercy we would do justice and we would walk humbly with him. And so we need wisdom to navigate through these times. And as many of you know, uh, this is not unaffecting us too on campus, right? There, there, there's, there was an incident and um, this, this is something that we really need to be filled with God's love and to really be his representatives in this world. And so uh, I'm going to call us just to pray for a few moments. If, if you would just close your eyes and in a time of silence, just be lifting up in prayer our nation, our people, our leaders, um, and, and the church. Let's do that together. And so, Father, we pray that your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We know that no matter what political party is in office, no matter who's in the office, you are on the throne. And that is the kingdom of this world is not the kingdom that we eventually hope in. But yet, God, you call us to be influencers and light in this dark world. And so, God, we, may we be a voice of hope. May we be agents of reconciliation, of healing, that will just transform this land. And so, God, we cry out to you uh, for your mercy uh, to, to come down upon us, especially your people, we as your people who have been so complacent and, and really need to, need to be desperately seeking you again. God, would you use us uh, to, be the, to be the change that we want to see in this world? May we bring your light. And so, God, uh, our hearts break as we see your heart break. And so, God, we want to be also be moved to action. Would you give us wisdom? Would you give us strength and courage to navigate these times as we lift it all up into your hands? In Christ's name we pray, amen. So today we start a, a new series on the will of God. And this term, the will of God, is perhaps one of the most misunderstood and abused terms that we as Christians throw around. And yet, the will of God is, is uh, there, there are more questions raised in my, in my experience as a pastor about the will of God, uh, more so than almost anything else uh, as I talk to people. And what I want to start off by is, I, I don't know where I learned this. I, I think it was in college 
That's when I first became a Christian, but, but I learned a certain view or approach to God's will uh, that I'll, I'll call the conventional approach to God's will. And the way this looks, and, and you may have been taught this as well too in the church that you grew up in or whatever, but the conventional approach looks at God's will that, like this. God has a specific pathway that he has laid out for us, and our responsibility is to discover this pathway. And so we have to discover which of the many pathways we could follow is the one we should follow. And when or if we make the right choice, then we will receive God's favor, we will fulfill our destiny, and we will succeed in life. And in this paradigm, under the conventional approach, then when we make a decision, we, a decision has to be made, um, then life suddenly becomes like uh, this complex maze, right? And, and where there's only one way out and all the other paths lead to a dead end. Now, of course, God knows uh, what the right way is because of, after all, he's willed it for our lives. And, and now the burden falls upon us, the burden that feels incredibly heavy, and weighty because if we choose wrongly, then we think we will miss out on God's will for our lives and we, uh, our lives will be relegated to God's second best. And so we pray for guidance, we look for signs, we seek advice, we read the Bible for insight, we search our hearts, and these are all good and right things, things that we should do. And then we wait in the hopes that God would give us a clear signal, like maybe an audible voice from heaven, right? Do this. When the moment finally arrives where we have to decide, we're still stuck with that choice. Well, you know, which job should I take? Should I marry Susie or marry Sarah? Should I move closer to my parents or stay here near my friends? And without any clear direction, we crowd in desperation, and I'm sure you may have cried this out too, as I have, right? We, we're at this point of desperation. We just say, God, just, just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. What I find sometimes when God tells me what to do and I don't like it, I, I kind of... Uh, uh, rebel against that. But finally, uh, we're compelled to make a decision, perhaps after weighing all the pros and cons, but we still remain uncertain about whether this choice that we're making is really, really God's will. And so we, a lot of questions get raised up in our minds. What if God wanted me to choose the other pathway and, and I missed it? And now I'm stuck with having to deal with the consequences of this decision that God never intended for me. And so for many years, I followed this conventional approach to discovering God's will for my life. But I remember during my years in seminary, um, I, 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 where it was in the midst of making a lot of important life decisions. I was trying to finally decide, what am I going to do going out of seminary? Who am I going to marry? Some formative decisions. I came to realize that there are a lot of problems with this conventional approach to discovering God's will. Initially, I was going to lay out like three or four different problems. I'm just going to focus it on one that I think is the, one of the main problems with this conventional approach to discovering God's will. When I began searching the scriptures uh, for insight, I was surprised at how little or, or even nothing, the, the, how much the Bible doesn't say about God's will in the future. 
Instead, it says a lot of other things, and we're going to read through a few scripture passages just to give us some bearing and some base for our discussion this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you could turn to James chapter 4, verse 13 to 17. This is one of the passages that we'll, uh, we'll focus on. Uh, the words will also be up on the screen as we read this passage. Uh, but here, l- follow along as I read this from James. Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow, we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there for a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here in a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this and that or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. In verse 17, remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. James is basically warning us uh, to exercise restraint and avoid presumption when we make decisions about the future because we can never be sure what the future holds for us. And according to James, right, in verse 17, what he's saying is this. If we have a problem, it is not the lack of knowledge regarding our future, Rather, it is our unwillingness to respond to the knowledge we already have regarding the present. And so you may be standing at a crossroad thinking, oh, the problem is I don't know what God wants for my future. And James is saying that's not the problem. The problem is you are not doing the very thing, the, the knowledge you already have, you're not doing that right now. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus echoes this sentiment. He exhorts us, Don't be anxious about the future. Instead, I want you to establish right priorities and make first things first. And so you may have 10 different important decisions to make and 100 possible pathways that you could follow. You may wish that God would speak clearly and tell you exactly what to do, where to go, and how to decide. Yet Jesus only makes one requirement of us. His only requirement that we'll look at in Matthew chapter 6 is this, that our hearts our right, our motives are pure, and our ambitions point to the kingdom of God above all else. And so in Matthew chapter 6, verse 30, starting from verse 31, Jesus says this, don't worry and ask yourselves, will we have anything to eat? Will we have anything to drink? Will we have any clothes to wear? Only people who don't know God are always worrying about such things. Your Father in heaven knows that you need all of these, but more than anything else, put God's work first and do what he wants. Then the other things will be yours as well. Don't worry about tomorrow. It will take care of itself. You have enough to worry about today. And and the Apostle Paul echoes and really says the very same thing that Jesus does here too. In Romans chapter 12, he says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul basically says that the will of God involves serving and honoring God in the present and has very little to do with big plans for our future. Right? And so there are a lot more passages that we could look at uh, and we could go through and study 
But as I wrestled through this issue of discovering God's will in light of what the Bible said, I came to some startling conclusions that I'd like to share with you. Three in particular, and these are all based on the script, some of the scripture passages we, we read. So if you're taking notes, here's some of the, the, the uh, conclusions. First of all, the will of God concerns the present more than the future. That's a huge thought. Secondly, it deals with our motives as well as our actions. And thirdly, it focuses on the little decisions we make every day, even more than the big decisions we make about the future. And so one of the main problems of the conventional view of God's will is that it focuses our attention on supposedly important decisions that we need to make about the future to the neglect of these little, seemingly unimportant decisions that we make every single day. For example, we, you may think long and hard about what school you should apply to, or what job or career you should enter into, or what spouse, who, like who your spouse should be. And this makes good sense because those are weighty and important decisions. But we give very little thought to how much TV we watch, or how much time we get distracted on social media, or how seldom we praise our spouse and our children. And yet, this, the, the witness of the authors of scripture say over and over and over again this simple truth, that the little choices you make every day often have a cumulative effect far exceeding the significance of the big choices you occasionally make about the future. Right, your little choices that you make every day. Now, I was talking to a good friend of mine. We went to college together. We graduated together. And right out of college, he got married to a great woman and started working at this really prestigious uh, consulting firm. He's a great friend. He's one of those guys that you really love, but you, like, uh, you know, love and hate because he's so bright and articulate. He's one of those guys that seems to have an unfair share of gifts and talents when God was distributing them, right? And after a few years at working at this consulting firm, he uh, started to really, uh, he he was now trying to decide uh, between going to seminary or going to medical school, right? So he spent months praying and fasting and seeking counsel regarding his decision, even as he weighed all the pros and cons of both options. And so one day, uh, my friend and his wife were in town, so we grabbed lunch together. And as soon as we started to sit down to eat, and I knew that he'd he'd been wrestling with this for months now, he said to me, son, I just don't know what to do. I don't know if God wants me to go to seminary or, or, or go to medical school. I mean, it's terrible. I can't stop thinking about this. In fact, it's even affecting my performance at work right now. While we continued the conversation, later on, I turned to his wife and said, what do you think your husband should do? And she blurted out, you know what, son? I don't really care what he decides. I just want my husband back. Ironically, my friend had been so consumed, so self-obsessed about his decision that he was ignoring the will of God, his wife, his kids, his job, that was staring right at him, right, right in his face, right in front of him. He was disengaging in work. He was neglecting his daily responsibilities and chores. His thoughts were exclusively about himself. Finally, as we continue to talk, he said, Sung, 
So what do you think I should do? You went to seminary. What's your perspective? What do you, do you think, uh, like, that, that's God's will for my life? And my answer really surprised and shocked him. I said, look, Mark, you know what? I think you should do whatever you want. At this point, I don't think it really matters which option you choose. And he was aghast, kind of like, I can't believe you said that. I mean, he was shocked because it seemed like this callous disregard for the will of God. And then he said to me, you know, son, I have too much respect for the sovereignty of God to just choose. Well, I asked him, I said, well, so Mark, you tell me, do you, do you think that Hitler and Stalin were capable of thwarting the sovereign will of God in the world? And he said, well, son, of course not. And I said, so if men and women who give their lives to purposes that run counter to God's will in this world, right, could not stop God's purpose, then what makes you think that someone who longs to do his will, who desires to please the Father, can actually derail God's ultimate purpose in this world, right? And I told him, Mark, I have too much respect for the sovereignty of God to think that you or I can mess it up. We just can't, right? And if you do think that we can, right, you just make yourself actually bigger than you really are. And it's not that the the decision between medical school and seminary is unimportant, because, I mean, it is. But that's secondary uh, to, to understanding this truth which is who you choose to become and how you choose to live every day creates a trajectory for everything else in your life. So I said to my friend, I said, look, I know doctors and I know pastors who are just terrible people. He's like, you know pastors who are terrible? I said, yes, right? So neither profession actually guarantees that you're going to become more like Jesus. On one hand, you can become like the next Albert Schweitzer or the next Billy Graham. On the other hand, you can also become such a self-absorbed pastor or such a narcissistic doctor who cares about nothing but making a name for himself. So what's more important than what kind of career God wants you to be in is to decide what kind of person God wants you to become, right? The choice between medicine or ministry is beside the point if you are being attentive and faithful to the little decisions and being faithful to that, to grow as a follower of Jesus, to be a kind husband, to be a caring uh, father, to uh, be a faithful employee, Mark, right? and to be a good neighbor. And if you do that, then whatever you choose, you will always lead the kind of life that will bear fruit that God wants to see in your life. Well, this perspective on the will of God gives us astonishing freedom, right? And I'll say that uh, and some of you may disagree, but again, before we go to this, th- this whole idea of the will of God is so, so theologically nuanced and so multifaceted. There may be aspects that you're like, ah, I don't agree or, or not. That's okay. I just ask you to just kind of walk through the whole series because, again, this next thing I'm going to say uh, may strike some of you as new, but I think it, it's true according to the witness of Scripture, and, and that's this. They, so they repeatedly say this. 
if we seek first God's kingdom and righteousness, which is the will of God for our lives, then whatever choice we make concerning the future become, becomes the will of God for our lives. In other words, there are many paths you could follow. There are many options you could pursue. And as long as you are seeking God first, all of these things can be God's will for your life, although only one, uh, once you choose a path, actually becomes his will, right? And so uh, once you choose to marry Susie, that does become your will, right? You can't be like, oh, well, you know, that's not God's will, right? And so in other words, God doesn't just have one person picked out, chosen for you, and you have to find that person, God actually has many people that you could marry, if you marry at all. Nor does God have one career chosen for you and mapped out for you that you must figure out and follow. Instead, there are many careers that you could do and perhaps will do. And of course, we still need to make choices, and some of those choices are very challenging and difficult. But in the midst of those difficult choices, we can walk in confidence that what we choose actually becomes the will of God for our lives. And the reason why we could have that confidence is this tension right here that I'm going to put up on the screen. It's because God is surprisingly flexible about your future. And he could do that because he is supremely inflexible about your present. In other words, you are free to marry Bill or Edward or Jane or Susie or Sarah, just as you are free to become a computer scientist or an engineer or a doctor or a daycare provider, but you are never free to put anything else before or above God. He must be first and foremost in your life. And therefore, yes, your future is surprisingly flexible because God is supremely inflexible about what he asks of you in the present. And so when you come to a crossroad in life and there are no signposts to guide you, like which way you should go, you can then have the freedom to choose being fully confident that God will go with you whatever you decide and you can enjoy the security of knowing that your decision is actually God's will, right? One more thing, let me say. Too many of us conclude in the face of difficulty and hardship that we must have made a choice that is outside the will of God. I don't know how many times I've sat with a husband in my office and they have told me something like this. Marriage to Susie is, is just so difficult. There are so many things that I, I just never saw about her before we were married. It's just driving me nuts. And, and you know what? I, I, it's just been so frustrating, so hard and so challenging. This must not be the will of God for my life. Wrong. Wrong. Or sometimes, well, I've gone to seminary and... Um, it, I, I'm, I'm just realizing that maybe this isn't for me. Right? I, I thought this was God's will, but um, it's, it's really hard. I, I'm lacking focus, and, and I, I just don't know, right? Uh, this, mu- this must not be God's will for my life. And so many times when we face challenges or hardships, we think, oh, that must not be God's will. Now, understand that choosing Susie and choosing seminary are two very different things, right? <laughs> choosing Susie, once you choose Susie and you marry her, like, that's it. But 
right? We spend the rest of our lives, when I talk to these men and women, we spend the rest of our lives like wishing that we would have chosen differently. Oh, I should have gone to medical school instead. That must have been God's will for my life. I blew it. Oh, I should have married Sarah instead. She would have been a better match for me. Well, I can say that even, especially even when you face adversity and hardship, that can still be God's will for your life. And the reason why I know that is when you look at Jesus. Jesus is facing uh, upcoming torture and execution at the hands of the Roman Empire. And so he gathers his closest friends and and he gathers with them and and prays in in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he, he goes a distance and he falls down on, on his knees and he starts praying and he says, my father, if it is your will, may this cup, this cup of suffering be taken away from me. In other words, I'm about to face difficulty and challenges, hardships that I don't, I don't want to experience. And I would argue he, he experienced hardships that uh, you, you and I will never come close to experiencing. And yet even in the midst of extreme anguish and hardship, Jesus never questions that this is the will of God. Why? Because of this. Because he, was, he knows God is supremely inflexible in the present, and Jesus' only desire was to do God's will, and as long as he was doing that, he knew that no matter what happened, no matter what challenge, no matter what hardship, he was always going to be inside the will of God. And so, the, and if you think about that, right, I mean, even in the most evil circumstances, God uses that to rescue sinners like us. God redeems even evil circumstances, and he uses that to bring about his purpose, which is salvation for all humanity. I think in light of that, I think we could say this, that you cannot make a decision that is outside the will of God because you are already inside that will. If you live within that supremely inflexibility of the present, of loving God, of putting him first in your life, there's no decision that you make that will be outside the will of God because you're already inside his will. So as it turns out, the weightiest and heaviest choices that you have to make is never between two future options. That is not the most significant decisions you make, right? Do I, do I take this job in California or do I stay here in Ann Arbor? The answer to that is always stay here in Ann Arbor. <laughs> that is never the weightiest decision, two future options. Instead, the weightiest decision is deciding between two ways of life. One is living for God and his kingdom and his righteousness and placing him above all else. And the other is living for yourself. One is the will of God, the other isn't. If you're faithful in this, you will always be in the will of God no matter what choice you make. So the question for us is that, will you be faithful in pursuing the will of God today, right now, in this place, not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, right now. Let's do that. Would you stand and let's respond. As you stand, would you bow your heads and close your eyes. And as we prepare... uh, as I, as I prepare to pray, I'm going to ask you, if you find yourself, you're worried about something in the future, there's a decision you need to make, you're stressed out, you're anxious, 
I want this to be a time to respond to what God is saying. If that's you, would you just lift up your palms up to the heavens as a way of surrender? Would you just come before God and just say, just come to the cross. And so God, we lay our anxiety down because that is not your will. You call us not to worry. Not to worry about tomorrow because today has enough concerns. And yet, God, we are so obsessed about our future. And you want us right now. We want to know where and what is in front of us. And you just tell us, I'm there in your future. So God, we give ourselves to you. We repent of our anxiety and worry. And we run to your arms. We receive your love, which is the one thing that will always remain the same. And we fall at your feet. And God, we want to lose ourselves in you. Give us the courage and strength to do your will, to seek your kingdom today and now as we respond to you in worship. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's sing.